Aggression is one of the last dirty words in our culture. You can be crass, you can be rude, you can even be profane, but ho, ho, aggressive, don't be aggressive, except it's wrong, dead wrong. I promise you nothing of meaning and transcendence will come into your life passively. It's time for you to get into the arena to push back against a passive, mediocre existence. I'm Brian Tome, and this is The Aggressive Life. Welcome to The Aggressive Life. This is Brian Tome. It's great to be with you today. You know, one of the topics that often gets talked about and made fun of is having a positive attitude. Glass half full, seeing the possibilities, opportunistic thinker, potential upside. When we have so many phrases like that, and I'm saying them in a very almost degrading tone, because I'm very tired of hearing all those phrases from the people who talk about them. But I got to be really clear right now, unless you have an upside thought pattern, unless you're seeing the glass half full, you'll never move. The reason why we make aggressive moves is because we believe our life is going to be better once we make the move. The reason we make the hard decisions that other people don't want to make is because we believe that decision is going to bring blessings to my life. The reason we change locations is we believe that new location is going to bring me more fulfillment in my life. I mean, the very reason to move with your life, the very reason to make an aggressive move with your life is because you want more for your life. You don't want life to stay the same. You want more for your life. And I think those of us who crack on positive thinking probably need to look at our life and find that we have positively stunted our potential. We need to take a quick inventory and say, okay, of all the times that we haven't moved because we wanted to be, quote unquote, a realist. I've never heard anybody say they were negative. Everyone who is negative always says that they're a realist, not an optimist. Okay, let's be realistic for a second. Realistically, your life is exactly the same as it was five years and you're going no place. That, 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 that's realism right there. But I think that we really need a rigorous and vigorous discussion around what it means to be optimistic. Because if I don't believe that this thing that I don't want to do, and why am I not doing it right now? I'm not doing it right now because I don't want to do it. Everything that we're not doing right now, we're not doing because we don't want to do it. We say we want to lose weight, but no, we don't want to put the time in at the gym and not eat cheese curls every night. We don't want that. <laughs> we say we, we, we want a better marriage, but no, we really don't want it because we don't want to pay for counseling. We don't want somebody to sit at, sit and look at us in a counselor's office and tell us the problem is us. So we, we really want it, but we don't want it. The reason why we don't have other things is because we're not doing the things that we don't want to do. You only do that if you have an aggressive attitude, an aggressive mindset. And you'll only do that if you think it's going to work. You have to believe it's going to work. And there's upside potential. Today, we're going to talk with somebody who is an upside potential guru. 
We're going to sit down with Liz Bohannon. She's the founder of Seiko Designs. It's an ethical fashion brand that works to educate and empower women. In four years, it's grown from three women making sandals under a mango tree to an international brand that provides employment, educational opportunities, and entrepreneurial training to women in East Africa more than you can count. But that's just the start of the story. In addition to running an international fashion business, Liz also travels heavily to speak at conferences. She lives in Portland, Oregon with her husband, Ben, and her son, Theo. Liz Bohannon, welcome to The Aggressive Life. Oh, thank you so much for being here. I feel the need... um just in case my children at some point ever hear this podcast to say that I actually have two sons now. My bio must not be updated. I have a oh, three-year-old have- named Theo and a one-year-old named Will. Will. Everything we have, else was correct. <laughs> we have not forgotten about you, Will. Will you are you, you are important, Will, and valued by God. You matter, Will. You matter to God, Will. No question. Well, Will, And your mother, just uh, for the record. Especially your mother. <laughs> Well, this is a this is a hallmark day in the Aggressive Life podcast. Up to this point, we have been interacting with people mainly right around my hometown where I live in Cincinnati. And this marks the first time we're interacting with someone all the way across the great U.S. of A. in Portland, Liz Bohannon. You are the first big time outside of Cincinnati person. How do you feel about it? Wow. Well, I didn't realize that. So it's such an honor. Excited to be here with you today. Well, let's go right to the first thing that I am most interested. Well, not most. I'm interested in very many things. But this has been something I've been wanting to ask somebody for a long time. And you're the first person I get to ask. Shark Tank. You were on Shark Tank. (laughs) What is the real deal of what goes on behind the scenes at Shark Tank? Tell us the story. Oh, man. It was such a trip. Um... The real deal, uh, it takes forever. It's, you know, probably for us was like probably a two year from the date I sent in like a cold pitch on the website. Like literally we didn't even go to an audition. I have an hour on my calendar every week that's called my wow time where I sit and I just kind of like think about if, if I couldn't get rejected, if money was no issue, if resources, if people like, what would we do? What's the best case scenario? And, and in one of my wow sessions, I was like, we would get in front of 6 million people and wouldn't have to pay anything for it. How do you do that? Shark Tank. And so, uh, submitted a form online, um, didn't think that much about it and didn't hear anything back. Totally forgot about it for probably like six months when they reached out. And then it was another 18 months until actually filming. Um, it was incredible. It was like the best experience that I wouldn't really want to do again <laughs> um, <laughs> because it just took a ton of emotional and actual time and energy. What people don't necessarily know is that you're in there. Like we were there in the tank, if you will, for probably over an hour. But then they edit that down to, you know, a digestible, interesting 10-minute take on what actually happened. Yeah. Well, give us your pitch. What were you pitching them? Oh, I was pitching my socially conscious fashion brand called Seiko Designs. So we are an ethical lifestyle fashion brand. We started in Uganda and have a work study program where we work with really academically gifted young women who test into college but can't afford to go. So we have a nine-month work study program where they come, they learn how to make the products, they get mentored. 
50% of their salary goes into a savings account that they can't access until they go into university. And at that point, we match their savings with a university scholarship. Um, and so we own a company in Uganda where we make beautiful leather sandals and um, handbags and accessories. And then we also have partners, fair trade partners all across the globe now that we source from as well to build out a full lifestyle catalog. And then those products are actually sold back here in the United States by a network of impact entrepreneurs that we call the Seiko Fellows. So these are primarily women. We've got a few men in their communities who are sharing the story and styling their friends and earning an income. Um, and our work here on the U.S. side of the brand is really figuring out how we kind of democratize impact entrepreneurship and say like, hey, you may not have an idea for a product or a service or be able you know, to go out and start a, a vertically integrated manufacturing company in a developing economy. Let us do all of that. Let us take care of, um, you know, the product and the impact and the logistics. You go out and build a brand in your community and actually build a business um, doing it. And so that is my company, our company. My husband and I, um, Ben, co-founded the company together. And uh, that's what we were pitching on Shark Tank. And so you were pitching for working capital or what were you hoping for them to give you? Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's the whole premise of the show is that you're pitching for working capital. The valuations on Shark Tank are total BS for mm. the entrepreneurs. They're they're like a steal. They, I mean, it's just like bottom of the barrel, bad for the entrepreneur, really great yes. for the investors in my perspective. Yep. So we were like, there's no way. I mean, of course, my husband and I are like freakishly, like not psychologically well optimistic. <laughs> so we were able to convince ourselves that, you know, that like half percent that they might come in at our valuation. By the time we were actually there, we worked our way up to maybe a 25% chance, but no, it was never more than 1%. All right. Now let's talk about that. That's the only term I want to unpack so far. Not psychologically well <laughs> optimist. Something tells me that if you're going to be aggressive and, and you're obviously aggressive, no one should be going from University of Missouri to Uganda. No Nobody should be doing the ideas you're thinking of unless they have an aggressive bone in their body. Psycholo- what was it? Psychologically <laughs> impaired optimist. What, what, what is that? Talk about that. You, you must have a value around this. Yeah, well, I call it positive paranoia, like in the way that other people get paranoid, you know, like, oh, my gosh, people are talking about me. People think I'm stupid. I've tried to take we all experience that. Right. I have realized in life that there is no way I can just do away with like the insecurities that every single human has. What I can do is allow those insecurities that I will probably feel for the rest of my life to be a trigger for me to feel something else. So let's take positive paranoia, right? Where it's like, obviously when people are like laughing and talking and you're not a part of the joke, your immediate insecurity is they're laughing at me, right? They're laughing at me and I'm not a part of it. Um, But I allow that to be... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to be a trigger of like, maybe it's because they're planning something for me. <laughs> uh, uh. Maybe they're going to throw me a surprise party and that's why they don't want me in on the conversation. And here's the thing. Likelihood that that is true, very small, less than 1%. But at the end of the day, you're never going to know what they were talking about unless that 1% comes true. And it indeed was an epic surprise party for you. So you might as well exist in your own little world that like, says, yeah, but maybe they're planning me a birthday party so that you can move on with your day and not be consumed by stupid insecurity that takes the limited amount of precious emotional energy that we have and sucks it away from the work that you are created to be doing and instead puts it into the hands of 
people that you don't even necessarily value their opinion of you, but for some reason they can still suck all of your energy and self-worth. That is a conscious decision to kind of let these every day, everybody feels them insecurities to trick me into a belief that at the end of the day, I know is probably not true, but it feels better to believe that than the alternative. So why not? You bring up a great point that we haven't discussed. And and that is, if you're going to have a value of moving and making aggressive moves, uh, concurrent with that, there has to be a sense that it's going to work out. I mean, you don't make an aggressive move if you're going, I don't really think this is going to work out, but I'm going to do it anyway. You, you have to have a belief that the glass is half full. You have to believe that what you're doing is going to actually make something happen. This isn't just kind of flying in the head of night and, and just wishing it's going to be okay with some sort of blind, mindless faith. That is choosing to see the possibilities. Do you agree with that? A hundred percent. I have never met a successful entrepreneur who doesn't have that. And I, I will say, I don't think you're born into the world with it. I think some people might be. I think it is something that you can cultivate. But yeah, I was just this morning listening to um, How I Built This with um, on NPR. It's like my favorite podcast ever, minus the aggressive life, of yes, course. Yes, of course. And um, it was Gary Hirschberg, I think is his name. He's the founder of Stonyfield Farms. They're the yogurt company. And this guy, I mean, he's telling their story and it's just like, he's like nut job level. They're bleeding money, two years, three years, four years, five years in, they're losing a million, they're losing, you know, 2.7 million, they're burning through $25,000 a week. He keeps going back to his mother-in-law and like asking for well, more money. His but mother-in-law? The only way you do that. Yeah, the only reason, the only way you can call your mother-in-law at 9 p.m. and ask her to wire you $35,000 to cover payroll is because there is a small part of you that is absolutely bananas enough to believe that despite everything on paper, like, this is going to work. This is going to work. And I've never, yeah. ever, ever met a successful entrepreneur who either didn't from the get-go or didn't learn how to cultivate a spirit of positive yeah. what if and allow that to be louder than the negative what if. Because same with your insecurities. Everyone is asking what if. You can't, I just don't think you can be a human who doesn't have these thoughts where you're triggered of like, oh my gosh, what if? What you can do is be someone that shifts the what if negative spiral of like death and worst case scenario into, oh yeah, but what if it works? I don't think it's just a business thing. I I think it's, I think our divorce rate in our country is Mm -hmm. as high as it is because we've heard the statistics so often about, you know, 50% of new marriage are going to end a divorce. And I think there is a very high percentage of people who, when they have their expensive ceremony, they're standing there and they think in their mind, oh no, I wonder how it's going to last. I I think that's a high percent. I think, Mm. I think, I think we don't follow through on our New Year's resolutions or we don't make any resolutions and we don't get to a different place physically because we actually don't believe that we're going to do it. We're, we're negative and cynical about what's going to happen in our life. And therefore those things don't ever happen. Right. So let's talk about pitch competitions and you see who's, who is starting businesses and all that stuff. The men way outweigh the women. Why is that? I don't say the men are better. I'm just saying there are more men, the more men who are 
choosing the entrepreneurial route. At least it looks that way. Have you, have you thought about that much? I have thought about it, and we let's just go ahead and schedule another podcast for this question. <laughs> well, you got to give me five minutes. You got to give me like a real brief something. Come on now. I can't. I can't even. Okay, here are the things because there's so many things we could seriously spend an entire podcast. Here's a big one: um, culture. Our culture rewards ambition and risk taking in men, and it uh, does not reward those same behaviors in women. Um, being an aggressive, successful man makes you inherently more likable by your peers, both male and female. Being a successful, ambitious woman makes you less likable by your peers. This has been completely scientifically studied. Like literally if you, there was a study done by Harvard where they put out two resumes and they were the exact same resume. And at the top of the resume, they had a very obviously female name and a very obviously male name. And people read the resumes. And at the end, they rated just pure affinity, likability, how much do you want to hang out with this person? And everyone wanted to hang out with a super successful dude. No one wanted to hang out with the super successful woman. We as humans desperately want to belong. We desperately want to be loved. We want to be liked. We want people to be drawn to us. We want to be on the inside. And and, and if our culture is sending the message to men, do this, take this risk, be the entrepreneur, be successful, work really hard, be aggressive, we will love you for it. And we are saying to women, like, Duh, if you do any of those things, you can do it, but it's going to have a cost associated. We are foolish to mm. think that that does not fundamentally alter the decisions that we make in the world. Representation. Oh. is a huge part of that, of like, have I seen other successful female entrepreneurs? Third, and this is a big thing, expectations that we have on men versus women for being present, engaged, awesome parents. Like nobody asks, can you be a great dad and have a full-time job? Literally, you show me one man who has ever asked that question of like, can you be a great dad and have a job? And that is the fundamental question that women working women in America get is like, what about the sacrifice? What about your children? Can you really be, a, it's all about like, it's all framed in the narrative of any time not spent with your children and in the home is a sacrifice and it is a detriment to your children. And basically how much, how detrimental can it get before it's really catastrophic. Um, and until that shifts, until there's more of a conversation, um, not only, by the way, about women leaning in at work, to use Sheryl Sandberg's quote, but a bigger conversation about, yeah, when do we get to talk to men about leaning out? Like, what are the ways in which men we can expect to ask them of like, no, no, you've got to slow down. You've got to say no to the opportunity because your kids need you. You're like, your wife needs you. And that we as a society place as high of a value in having active and engaged fathers and what that looks like is more similar to what it looks like to have active and engaged mothers and our standards are the same. Like you can be seen as a phenomenal dad working 50 hours a week because you show up at the ball games <laughs> and that makes you like, you know, dad of the year that you do carpool twice a week. Whereas a woman doing those exact same things is seen as like, oh, that's just such a bummer. You know, like she clearly has her priorities and it's being successful in the career realm. And that's a super toxic narrative, I think. And again, I'm saying this, saying raising my kids and being a mother is hands down a thousand billion times more important to me than being a successful entrepreneur. It is literally just not even a question. If the sky parted and tomorrow, someone was like, you give it all up, everything that you've learned, everything that you've earned, all uh, just like 
to be a mom or to not like just stupid how easy that question would be. I would pick my kids every day of the week. However, that isn't a question that my male counterparts have to answer. And on a micro level, I am expected to answer it in every season. Um, Less than 1% of VC funding goes to women. And we can say it's because there are less women in the room, but the exact same study was done, not the exact same, but similar to the Harvard study about likability with uh, VC funding, where they did a pitch the pitch deck was the exact same. The script was the exact same. The delivery was the exact same. The founder was a different gender. And the increase in yeses from VC funding when it was a male founder, who of course looked like the primarily male venture capitalist, um, was significantly higher than when a female pitched the same idea, the same numbers, the same concept, the same deal. Um, so those are just, those are four Liz, things off the top of my head. Liz Bohannon bringing the aggressive <laughs> smackdown on gender. Man, look out, Loretta. Buy Sam and give his dog a drink, too. This is amazing. That's that's good <laughs> stuff. I, you know, I had never thought about before the truth that if, if, if I, as a man, am going to be rewarded for being aggressive, then if I'm 50-50 on something, I'm going to tip that way. And you're right. If you're a woman, you're not rewarded for being aggressive. So if you're 50-50, you're probably going to tip the opposite direction. That's a very insightful truth I had not thought of. That's great. You okay. might not be able to keep this in this, but a man is seen as like, you know, when he when he's aggressive, when he's pursuing things, when he's being ambitious, when he's taking risk, he's a boss. You want to be around him. He's a baller. He's got his life together. And primarily a woman is the first word that comes to mind is like, oh, she's a little bitchy. Stay out of her way. Um, And those are very, very, very different ways to operate in the world in a super high cost um, for women to have to face socially. Yes, that's very right. That's very right. So let's talk about Seiko. Let's talk about, is it bigger right now than you thought it would be? Is it smaller than, than you thought it would be? Like your positive expectation when you started it, how does that match up to where it is right now? Oh, that is such an interesting question. I think both. Like when I, in the very, very, very early days of, you know, sitting underneath a mango tree in rural Uganda, teaching women how to make sandals out of like crappy leather scraps and no manufacturing standards and, you know, muling sandals between Uganda and America in my suitcase, probably illegally. Um, I I did imagine this. I imagined what we are now, but it didn't, it felt more unrealistic than it did realistic. It wasn't like a, oh yeah, this is definitely going to happen. I just have to get us here. I did have a vision for it being as big as it is. Yeah. It feels like there's things that I couldn't have seen coming that are bigger and better than I could have imagined. And then there's always areas where I'm like, I wish we were 10 steps ahead of where we are right now. And I can see it and I can taste it, but we're not there yet. Um, and so I think that that's where the drive to continue to push into it comes from as well. So do you have a picture in your mind of when you would have made it? Like if this happens, I will know that we have made it or we are on firm footing. Do you already feel that way right now? Is there a picture in the future? Is there is there some metric you wake up with? I, I find that for a lot mm-hmm. of entrepreneurs and for myself, you know, and um, as a spiritual entrepreneur, someone might call me that, there's... Um, I don't know, there's, you wonder, when am I going to feel like I'm secure? When am I going to feel like things are stable? I still don't feel like that 
23 years into the thing that I've I've started and I'm leading. I'm wondering for you, do you do you feel that? Do you feel like okay, we've arrived or do you know when you will have arrived or do you even know no. what arriving means? <laughs> no. I don't think I think I'm far too curious to to ever have a sense in life that I've arrived. I think approaching a level of sustainability feels like something I definitely do think about and and kind of have more metrics around, okay, when we're from a business perspective, when we're at this place, whether that's from a revenue or profit standpoint or team members, when I have somebody that I can really trust to do these things in addition to these things, and we can afford this caliber of person to lead this initiative in my home life, thinking about like right now feels like we're doing it. It's not necessarily sustainable. And when it is sustainable, it's going to look a little bit more like this. It's not like hugely different, but, um, So I think about getting to places of sustainability where I'm like, okay, I could do this for the next 10 years. And I I don't feel like I'm at that place right now. From a business standpoint, from a personalized standpoint, I'm doing it and it's working. And I absolutely feel a deep sense of peace that this is what God's called me to. It doesn't feel like something that I would be like, I would do this for another decade without any changes. Mm -hmm. Um, That it's like, no, things will need to kind of change in this direction and according to these metrics in order for this to be like sustainable. But I also feel okay with that. And I think I meet a lot of people who are so obsessed with (laughs) sustainability and work-life balance. Um, I think it's a fantastic conversation. And it's like, listen, I care about so many other things. Other, I'm just not somebody who like my whole life and identity is like in being a successful entrepreneur. It's just not like I deep, like for me to live a purposeful, impactful life right now, running a successful growth oriented, profitable business, business is like a part of that. Being a writer and teacher and educator is a part of that. Showing up for my husband and being a wife and building a really beautiful partnership is a huge part of that. Being a really active and engaged mom is a part of that. So I am all for the conversation about like work-life balance. I just think sometimes we don't allow for there to be seasons that might not be sustainable in a certain area. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, this is not working. I can't move forward until I fix these pieces. And it's like, well, maybe it's, maybe it, maybe you're in a season of it not working (laughs) and maybe you need to, for it to not be working in order to get you to like the next season. Like I just listened to a podcast with somebody who was like talking about a huge growth area or growth year that she had in her company and how she was like saying yes to everything. And that she looks back on that and says like, if I knew now what I knew, it was too much. I would have slowed down. I would have only said yes to a third of those things. And I'm like, okay, yes, but you're sitting where you are today because you said yes to a hundred percent of them. Like that's a very yes, hindsight 2020 very thing right. Right. to say. And that, you know, I should have only said yes to a third. Well, it's like, well, you probably wouldn't be sitting here right now <laughs> if you right. only said yes to a yeah, third. Cause you don't, you don't know which third it is. Totally. Yep. You know? Yep. Yep. And so I, I'm just, you know, like when I interview, you know, 22 year olds in their first job and they're like, one of their main questions is like talking about work-life balance. I'm like, Oh, this probably isn't going to work out. You know, like, because I, I did things when I was 24 that I never, that I would not do today. Right. When I was 24 and I stayed in $6 hostels and I didn't pay myself for five years. And I, you know, like literally lived out of my car and I slept on strangers couches. And like, I did so many things, you know, 
10 years ago, five years ago, three years ago that don't make sense for me right now. And I've, I've had to kind of like move and pivot and iterate, but it's like solve the problem that you have today. If don't you're try look- to solve the problem of your life thinking about the balance you're going to need 10 years from now. That's if, stupid. Like, if if you're looking for today. balance, if you're in your 20s and you're looking for balance, you're going to have zero potency in your life. The 20s. Okay, you said it, not me. I did I say it. No, no. You you should have zero balance. Zero balance. Yeah. If, if you're a person of faith, yes, you should keep a Sabbath. You should have a day where you're not working, you're recharging, you're playing, all that kind of stuff. But this idea that you're somehow going to have a life that's all buttoned up and you're going to be a well-rounded person, not going to happen. And, and I totally agree. And to young people who are listening, it's like, I, I do want to say that's not to say those things don't matter, but give them, it's okay if they're not manifesting in your life the way that you want them to manifest 10 years from now. Like, can that be, can I have a vision and can I be working towards something that won't come to fruition for 10 years from now? Right. One of the things I'm gathering with you, which is really, really cool is, you're making some decisions for your life and for your business that um, are maybe are a bit off script. <laughs> and that's fair enough. That's good. I mean, that's that's aggressive. <laughs> Things that are on script are always passive. They might they might be the right thing to do. They might think be the thing that that help. I mean, <laughs> balancing your checkbook. I mean, that's a, that's maybe the right thing to do. But in many ways, that's passive. Not, not that I've ever balance my checkbook. I have zero memory of ever doing that actually. But you know, something like that is something that's just a good idea and you can passively go along with it. But you're doing some things that you've aggressively chosen to step outside the norm on. Do you find this is normal for you that you just naturally come up with systems or things that are outside the norm and you just go for it? Or, or do you do a lot of homework before you do these things? I'm a pretty intuitive gut person, but I also am insatiably curious. And so I absorb a lot of here's how other people are doing it. Maybe I haven't seen it done exactly this way, but I heard somebody else talking about this thing and that sparked this idea that in a completely different context would look like this and then kind of like let that play out. I don't, there's nothing new under the sun. Like I, I don't really believe that anything I'm doing in life in general is like, crazy novel. It's never been done before. It might just be piecing things together in a way um, that is different. And I think that that is frankly just a result of being really like curious and interested and asking questions and how do you do life and how do you think about this thing? And, um, you know, taking what I love, leaving behind what I don't, fusing it with something else from another way of thinking that feels like it fits better, whatever, whatever the need is. Um, but I, I wouldn't say no, that I just like wake up in the morning with these like ideas. It's more so of kind of an amalgamation of just being really curious. And I think being willing to put things together, even though maybe traditionally they haven't gone together and at least having a spirit of saying like, well, let's try. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Is there an aggressive move you've made that has cost you, whether it was the right thing or it was a mistake? You know, these questions, I always have a really hard time answering because like, if cost means financial loss, 100%. So many, it would be boring to even talk about them, right? Like my whole life is just like a series of like probably wrong decisions with like, oh, we could have made more money. That deal would have probably gone through. Um, If it means like relational strife, 100%. By like choosing to work with your spouse, you are just literally voluntarily signing up (laughs) for a thousand times the conflict that an average couple will experience in a day, week, 
month. Um, but on like any of those things, like on a meta level, they don't seem like cost. They just like kind of seem like well, that's the life that we're living, <laughs> you know, and like um, it was all part of the story. And like I may have made that stupid decision that lost us 20 grand. But if I wouldn't have made that stupid decision, I wouldn't have learned that lesson. And then the next time this other opportunity in a completely different realm came across, I was way better equipped to think about it because I had made this really painful decision six months ago. So it, and maybe that sounds kind of like Pollyanna optimistic, but it, it's just like life is not a balance sheet. It's like a story and pursuing a really good story of, I'm much more interested in the meta arc of my life and living a life full of meaning and purpose and impact than I am on making sure at the end of the day, the, the checkbook, the archaic checkbook that you referenced like is balanced at the end of every day. Well, Liz, this has been phenomenal. You have been phenomenal. Thanks for uh, thanks for bringing the SmackDown this whole episode. It's been great. Where can people connect with you, social media, get involved in what you're doing, et cetera? Just pump your Absolutely. stuff for us. Absolutely. You can connect. Um, we're on socials. My company is S-S-E-K-O Designs on Instagram, on Facebook. I'm over at Liz Bohannon, B-O-H-A-N-N-O-N on Instagram as well. I am launching a book that releases on October 1st called Beginner's Pluck, Build Your Life of Purpose and Impact Now. It's my story of starting and scaling Seiko. Um, but in addition to that, it's kind of the 14 principles that I really, really believe will help build pe- um, will help people build beautiful lives of purpose, passion, and impact. And we are uh, hitting the road with the book. So we're going to be on tour um, all across the United States in eight different cities throughout October. So would love for you to check out tour dates and locations on my website, Liz lizbohannon.co and sign up, buy a ticket. I'd love to meet you in person. Liz will be a keynote speaker at the Ocean Conference, a conference for people who are in startups, who are entrepreneurs, who have entrepreneurial thinking while they lead their businesses. It's in Cincinnati at Crossroads Oakley, October 10th to 11th. You can get more information and tickets at oceanconference.org. Don't miss it. I'll be there and I hope to see you then. Hey, thanks for listening. If this episode has impacted you, hey, share with somebody else. All of us have influence, people that can look to us for direction. Use your influence positively, aggressively. And if this has meant something to you, then pass along to those that you're leading. Uh, you can see more at briantome.com or search me on Instagram. Special thanks to the band Judges for our music. You can find more from them on Instagram at The Band Judges or at Facebook.com slash The Band Judges. The Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio. Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.